Good morning. Oh, kids, thank you so much, singers, for blessing us with your praise and your worship this morning. I am thankful. I am glad that each of you are in worship this morning. And this summer, oh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yep. We, we got a couple who are prepared. They are ready. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm joking around because we have a couple who were here first service as well as we worship together. But that's what we talked about at first service. In summertime, in summertime, maybe more so, I feel, than at other times of the year. Or maybe just more times all bunched together. It seems like I'm getting ready. Have you been doing that? Like at the beginning of the summer, we were getting ready for KAMP, right? And then after that, my family was getting ready for vacation. We were packing suitcases. We were making sure we had somebody to check the mail, making sure the yard got mowed, all that good stuff. And then we came back, and I got ready for summer camp. And we went to Bridgeport. Oh, we had to get ready for that. And then we came back, and we got ready for Project Transformation, Made sure we had people to go and read and people to bring food to feed the interns. And now, what are we getting ready for today? Anybody know what's coming tomorrow? What's coming? Vacation Bible School. We are getting ready for Vacation Bible School. We have been doing a lot of things to get ready. And all kinds of things. Maybe for vacation, we got ready by packing our suitcases. And getting ready is important. It's important. What was the example that I used last time? Okay, can do you think of something else? What if you, when you were going to camp and getting ready, forgot to pack your toothbrush? Ew, I see the faces. We're there for five days. What if you forgot to pack your toothbrush? I know how much sugar y'all eat at the canteen. Whoa, there would be some definite sugar bugs in your teeth. would not be good. For K-A-M-P. Oh, my goodness, they've been getting ready for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we sang some wonderful music, did some wonderful art, and had some wonderful, wonderful experiences with God together. And this week, we are getting ready for Vacation Bible School. Look at look at other church right now. Okay, see all those big kids? They're just big kids. Tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, who's going to be sitting there? Yes. Well, not too tiny because y'all are growing. But yeah, it's going to be filled with children. It's going to be filled with children. And we want to get ready for the children. We want to make sure that we have music and that we have crafts and we have missions and we have wonderful Bible stories. But we have to get ready in another way. Do you know who's going to be here besides the children? Who else is going to be here? Cooper teachers. And leaders. Absolutely. Yep. It's the children's time answer. You know the answer when you come. What's the answer to the question of children's time? God. Sometimes it really is. Sometimes it, God is going to be here. God is here now. But for Vacation Bible School, God is going to be here. And we have to get ready. Because when God shows up, we want to make sure we know that. We want to make sure that we notice when God is here. So that we can see We want to be ready. We want to be ready because God has a wonderful love for you and for me. And we're going to see it in each other. And we're going to see it in the classes. So what can we do to get ready? 
Who has an idea of how we can get ready for God to be here? Rest? Yeah. Oh, rest. Get good rest tonight. Save lots of energy for tomorrow. Absolutely. Because when we're tired, we don't notice things, do we? That's wonderful. What do you think? We can pray. Absolutely. We can pray. When we pray, we talk to God, and we listen to God. Oh, that will help us get ready. I saw another hand down here. Did somebody think of another one? Mm, Okay. Well, let's get ready right now by giving thanks together. Can you grab a hand, maybe an elbow here? And say, dear God, thank you for being here in this place and all the places we go, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you're awake. Yeah. Our uh, scripture this morning uh, comes from the book of Joshua, found in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, 14 through 17. Listen for the word of God. It says here, early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from Shittim with all the Israelites, and they came to the Jordan. They camped there before crossing over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it, so that you may know the way you should go. For you have not passed this way before. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Do not come any nearer to it. Then Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. To the priests, Joshua said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on in front of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went in front of the people. On to verse 14, it says, when the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, while those flowing toward the sea of Erebeth, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we gather here in your house for fellowship and for worship. And we pray that in the time that we have together, Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our minds, 
to receive your word and your will for our lives today. We ask all this in your precious son's name. Amen. What a story. What a story. There are so many layers to this story that we could literally spend all day unpacking it. So many layers to talk about. But Valerie told me I had to be done by noon, so I guess I'll give you the abridged version. But before we actually get to the layers of this story, we do have to go back just a little bit. Because it's important to understand the difference between the story that almost all of you are familiar with, and that's Moses, and this story of these priests, which some of you may not be familiar with. Even though the end result is the same, there is significant difference in how it happens. So let's go back. We have Moses, born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian. He was raised to think like an Egyptian, to act like an Egyptian, to take part in everything like an Egyptian. But he realizes he's Hebrew. So what does he do? He kills an Egyptian. Okay? Now, Pharaoh wants him dead. So he's exiled. And he wanders aimlessly. He begins to lose hope. He begins to lose faith. But God guides him. And eventually, he winds up settling. He takes a family. Has children. And then what happens? God calls him up. Says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, back to your people, and I want you to take on Pharaoh. We know what happens. Through the miracles of God, through the plagues, Pharaoh is compelled to let the Hebrew people go. The nation of Israel is free. So they follow Moses, and they go through the mountains, and they wind up at the Dead Sea, and Pharaoh's army is in pursuit. Pharaoh wants them dead. He wants to capture them. His workforce is gone. So here they are, standing at the Dead Sea. They might as well have been at the edge of the earth. So what does God do? He parts the waters. He parts the waters. And you all have probably seen the artistic uh, renditions of Moses standing on a boulder with his staff in hand and his arms open wide so we can only picture in our brains the waters just parting and all of the people of Israel walking on dry land. Every single man, child, woman, beast of burden, all their possessions cross safely. And then Pharaoh's army, hot pursuit. What happens? Whoosh! Wipes them all away. Yay! We're free! We're free. But what happens? What happens? Well, they're human beings, aren't they? They may be the children of God, but they're human beings. So what happens? They start to lose faith. They start to become misguided. They start to lose their trust. You see, there's this separation that begins to exist between them and God. So God reaches out one more time and says, I'm with you. How does he do that? He calls Moses again. And he gives him the Ten Commandments. Now we have a covenant. Now we have this promise from God that says, follow me, obey me, and I will deliver you because I'm with you. Yay! But they're people. They're humans. So what happens? They start to lose faith. 
They start to become distrustful. They wander for 40 years. 40 years before they wind up at the banks of the River Jordan. Moses is no longer in charge. This guy named Joshua is in charge. Now, here's where we pick up this account in the Bible. So what happens? Well, the nation of Israel needs to get across the River Jordan, which, by the way, is at flood stage. Okay? So God tells Joshua, tell the priests to take the ark and get in the water. When they get in the water, I'll part the waters. Everyone will see that they're faithful. They'll see that I'm with you, and everybody will cross on dry land. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Except for the priests. All right? Now, let's think about this for just a second. Who are these priests? We don't know their names. They're not given any names. They're simply called priests. So what can we know about them? Well... We know that they're priests, which means they're ordained. They're ordained, which means they're called by God. Now, Moses was called by God, but he wasn't a priest. See, here's the major difference between these two stories. Well, one of the major differences, but the major difference. Here we have God calling the ordained to lead the way. Calling the ordained. To show that they're faithful. Calling the ordained to action. To physically pick up the ark and step into a raging flood. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, if that happened today, in today's time, and I happened to be one of those priests carrying the ark, I'm sure the conversation would have went more like this. Joshua would have come to me, and all the other guys, and said, hey guys, God's finally told me the plan. Now, keep in mind, I know the story of Moses. So, I'm going to be the first one, as my nature is, to speak up and say, he's going to part the waters, isn't he? We're all going to be able to cross on dry land, isn't he? This is great. And Joshua would probably say, eh, not exactly. No, um, here's what he wants you to do. I don't want you to freak out. But he wants you and all the fellows with you to pick up the ark and actually go out into the water. I got a question. Yes? You sure you heard him right? I I could have swore I heard you say you wanted me to actually pick up the ark and get in the water. Is that right? Joshua would say, yes. Did you write it down? Can I see your notes? Because you want me to get in the water. Now, Joshua at this point would probably say, hey, you've got to have faith. Remember what God has told us. I am with you. Yeah, he might be with me, but I would feel more comfortable if he was with me in a boat, right? But that's not what happened. But that's how I would feel. Wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a flood. I lived in Missouri in 1993. The Great Flood of 93, we called it. Now, for those of you who live down here in the south, you probably saw the images in the videos, right? You saw the the levees that were breaking and the water that was rushing out. You saw towns after the waters had claimed them where you could only see the peaks of the roofs. 
And in the most extreme circumstances, you couldn't even see the town anymore. Right? I'm sure some of you remember that. But let me tell you something. When you see it in person, man, that's something altogether different. I mean, my school, the entire population of my school, over 50% of the kids couldn't come to school anymore because their homes were flooded or because the roads to our school happened to be flooded. Give an example of, of what a flood can actually do. I remember the week of 4th of July, I went down to St. Louis and I stood underneath the arch and I looked at the river and it didn't look like a river. It looked like a lake. It might as well have been an ocean. But here's the thing that stuck in my mind. I remember looking out and seeing this stage. This stage was intended to be the concert stage for all the entertainment for 4th of July. Guess what? It was underwater. Well, okay. I wonder what they're going to do. So I left. I came back. I came back. Just a couple of days later, you stand on top of that hill, you look down. They had built a second stage. It was underwater. wonder what we're going to do now. So I left. I came back for the 4th of July celebration. They had built a third stage. It wasn't underwater. Water's about 50 feet away. They had the concert, and then everybody hightailed it out of there. Now, that same day, I went down into the streets of St. Louis, and I found myself walking down a street until I came to this very large wall. This is called a flood wall. And for any of you who have ever seen an honest-to-gosh flood wall, it is an impressive sight. This thing is 20 feet tall. Steel. Reinforced by 12 feet of concrete. Behind it is an earthen dam. The sole purpose of this flood wall is to keep the river from claiming the city. And I'm thinking, oh, we're, we're, we're safe. And I look up, and I see water lapping over the edge. And it dawns on me, if this wall gives out, the entire city of St. Louis is underwater. I remember watching as people lost their homes. Watched as they lost their cattle. Watched as their entire lives were turned upside down. If you want me to bring it local, if you want me to make it a little bit more where it hits at home, how about Duck Creek a couple of years ago when it flooded? I know there were some of you in this room that were affected by it directly, if not indirectly. Flash floods. They wipe away people's homes, their cars. In extreme cases, sometimes their lives. So imagine what the priests felt like when Joshua came to them and said, pick up the ark and get in the flood. I would have had my doubts. You see, that river that they were being told to step into could have just swept them away. But God was with them. So what can we learn from a story about a group of priests that have no name? What can we learn about a story where they carry an ark? An ark which is God personified. It is the covenant of God with His people. It is the light that's in the darkness. It is an example of His power. What can we learn from a story where a group of unnamed people carry the ark into a raging flood? 
Well, I would look out in this congregation and say that all of us are standing in a flood. Now, what do I mean by that? I can look out here and guess that some of you might be dealing with relationship issues. Some of you might be struggling to find the love that used to be in that relationship. Some of you might be struggling with a sibling, with a spouse, with a neighbor, with a co-worker. Perhaps you can't find it in your heart to forgive them. Perhaps you can't see the love from them that you're giving them. Right? Guess what happens? The waters rise. Hmm? The waters rise. Perhaps some of you are dealing with death. Perhaps death has visited your family. The loss of a life can plunge us into darkness. The loss of a loved one, of a friend, can cause us to doubt, can cause us to have fear, can cause us to have that separation from God. And the waters rise. Yeah. Our youth, the young people in our lives, are inundated every single moment of their lives by images in magazines, social media, the computer, the internet, movies they watch that say, this is how you have to look. And if you don't look this way, well, you're not normal. The people in the pictures don't look that way. They've been photoshopped. It's an unrealist expectation. But explain that to youth. Some of them feel so ridden with guilt and turmoil and despair that they take drastic measures and the waters rise. Financial distress, the waters rise. Emotional distress, the waters rise. I don't have a job, the waters rise. Certainly the events of the last three weeks showing us the ugliness of the broken world in which we live. The waters rise. And it threatens to sweep us off our feet at any given moment. Where's the hope? Where's the love? Where's the light? We ask ourselves. The example right here in this story. The example is found right here in Joshua. These unnamed priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant, the light of God, the light that will not allow darkness to triumph, the love of God that will not allow hatred to triumph, the power of God that can move mountains, that can change lives. And tells them to step out into the floodwaters. And they do. And the flood stops. Does he say it's going to be easy? I don't remember finding that anywhere in Scripture. Did he say that we would live a life that is not destined to be filled with turmoil and despair and death? No. That's not what he says. What he says is, I am with you. I am with you. So who are the priests? They have no name. I'm going to be a little bit 
presumptuous today? And I'm going to give them a name. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. We are the unnamed priests. We are the unnamed heroes. My friends, think about it. Every single day you encounter someone who is an unnamed hero. If you're a teacher and you teach the children of this country, you are a hero. If you are a police officer and you're willing to lay down your life, you are a hero. If you are a first responder and you're the first one there, you are a hero. If you buy a meal for a homeless man, you're a hero. We are all unnamed heroes. We are all called by God to be the ordained, to be the unnamed priests. We are called to action. We are called to pick up our Ark of the Covenant and be that light, to be the love, to show the world the power and the grace of God. That's our challenge. Where's the light? Where's the hope? Where's the love? Look around. It's right here. You don't have any idea what the person sitting next to you is going through. There are people that are here today that may be clinging on by a thread. Reaching out their hands saying, help me. Pick me up. We are called as a church, as a people, a forgiven and reconciled people of God to pick up the ark and to go out into the raging flood. Because we say it every single week. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.